Welcome to Waypoint. I'm glad you're here. My name is Blair. I do some of the teaching here at Waypoint. Uh, for those of you online, I'm glad you're joining us too. Uh, my wife is watching from Pennsylvania. Hi, honey. Um, which I think might be a safe distance to do what I'm about to do. Okay. Um, several weeks ago, six weeks ago or so, I came into possession of this microwave. Now, um, how I got it is not important. What I was trying to decide was whether I should throw it away, scrap it, or possibly sell it on Facebook, okay? That's all I was doing with this thing. And then my wife saw it, and she said, I'm gonna test it and see if it works because it matches the colors in our kitchen. And I'm gonna be honest with you, I had no idea what she was talking about. Like, I knew I was clueless in that moment, but I'm not dumb. And I, re I realized if I revealed that I was clueless about the colors in our kitchen, we would have a conversation about the colors in our kitchen. Mm -mm, no, I didn't want that. So I just played it cool. I let it go by, unexplored. I didn't want to know anything about it. Uh, about a week later, I'm making breakfast on Mother's Day morning. And out of the corner of my eye, I see our toaster like I've seen it for the first time in my life. I was like, holy cow, look at the color on that thing. And then I noticed next to that a group of spatulas. I was like, what is happening here? I started actually looking around the kitchen. I'm, I'm going to give you a, a bunch of pictures. It's not all of them. Like, this stuff is everywhere. I had never seen it before. I believe I live in the house, but it had never registered. I believe what I'm about to do today is going to be like that for a section of scripture for you. Um, I'm going to get to a place where we're going to talk about some stuff that's in there, and you're going to think, why didn't I see that before? It's because you either got used to it like I did. Uh, I had this experience. So I was, doing some, I was doing some personal study, and one of the things I like to do is I like to go and listen to some rabbis that I appreciate um, who really get deep into the text. And I noticed that he had a talk on a section of Scripture that was over an hour long, and I knew this section of Scripture. And my first question was, what in the world do you have to say for an hour on this? Like, it's pretty cut and dry. Everybody knows what's going on here. What are you doing? So I listened just out of curiosity. And at the end of that hour plus, I had two pages of notes and so many questions. Because he was proposing a theory to understand what was happening in that section of scripture that I had never heard before. And I didn't know what to think about it. So I spent the next few days doing my own research. I cross-referenced, I looked up stuff, I tried to put things together. And I started to come to the conclusion that not only did I think he was onto something, I think he was downplaying it. Because he was talking about what this would have meant for the nation of Israel if they were to hear something like this. And I was looking at underlying truths that were being presented that I think had everything to do with our lives, our hearts, our very souls. 
because he was addressing this thing that happens within us where sometimes we don't even know how to process something that's in our hearts. We don't know how to think about it. We don't know how to talk about it. And on top of that, we think even if we tried, people wouldn't want to have us talk about it. Do you hear that combination? It's terrible. I don't really know how to process this. And if I did, nobody would care in the first place. And so this stuff goes unexplored, unnoticed. It sits at the core of who we are and has the ability to reshape us. And I think what we're going to discover as we get into the text, that God is not okay with this. That he actually has a place and a plan that he'd like to take in your life. Like he has this idea of how he'd want to interact with you. And I think sometimes because of where we end up, we have a hard time believing it. So I want to take you to some scripture that reveals God's heart. And it's going to, it's going to take a little um, background. We've got to do some background to get to a place where we can finally actually step in to the situation I want to talk to you about. So I want to take you to Exodus chapter 4. And in Exodus chapter 4, Moses is being recruited by God. He's actually been recruited by God in chapter 3. God's laid out this incredible plan of what he's going to do if he'll just follow him. Like, go to Egypt, get my people out. This is what I'm going to do. It's a big grand plan, and he presents it. And Moses is just dragging his feet. And despite hearing God's plan, he says this in verse 1. Moses answered. He's answering God's plan. I know you've got this great plan, but... What if they do not believe me or listen to me and say, the Lord did not appear to you? Moses is worried about showing up and saying, listen, I saw a burning bush, trust me. And everybody going, ah, we don't know you, we don't believe you, we're done. Now, God giving him this assignment should have been enough for him, but he is asking for some more support and God looks at this and goes, okay, here's what I'll do. And he starts giving him some miracles to do. Verse 2, the Lord said to him, what's in your hand? Moses replied, a staff. Verse 3, the Lord says, throw it on the ground. Moses threw it on the ground and it became a snake. And he ran from it, right? And you can, you can chuckle a little if you want, but I know half of you men would do that very same thing. I know for a fact. Like, he ran from it. It gets worse, by the way. He's then told to grab it by the tail and pick it up. And it turns back into a staff. Now listen, in terms of miracle, that's pretty cool. Also creepy, right? It's pretty creepy, but very cool. And so he's got this thing that he knows. He's walking around with a staff. It can turn into a snake. That's pretty cool. He's got some evidence there. God's not done. In verse 6, he goes, Then the Lord said, Put your hand into your cloak. He does that, and when he pulls it out, his hand is full of leprosy. It's white. That is not cool. That is a death sentence in their culture. But God says, It's okay, it's okay. Put it back in your cloak. Pull it out. This is what happens in verse 7. Now put it back in your cloak. And when he does, and he pulls it out, it's healed. It's all gone. 
pretty cool miracle. This is amazing. He's going to have some stuff that shows that God's really powerful. God's not done. That's what he says in verse 8. If they do not believe you or pay attention to the first sign, hmm, that's interesting, they may believe the second. And then he goes on in verse 9. But if they do not believe these two signs or listen to you, take some water from the Nile, pour it on the ground, the water you take from the Nile will become blood on the ground. And the discussion on this topic ends what it moves to next is Moses has this long conversation about how he can't talk. It's very ironic. He has, it goes on for a while about how he's not able to talk. But there's like this, it's, it's almost like a mic drop moment. Hey, if all of these other things fail, do this. And both God and Moses seem to go, yeah, that'll do it. That'll accomplish whatever we need to accomplish. We, we don't have to talk about this anymore. And it raises some questions for me. Like, is it obvious that these things would work? Is it obvious that these miracles would convince anybody? And are they just miracles? Are these signs picked for a reason? Because he doesn't say miracles. He says signs. Why would he use that kind of terminology when he's talking about this? More to the point, does it work? Does him having these incredible things to show people work? And if you look, it's a mixed bag. In Exodus chapter 4, Moses is told to go and do all of these things in front of Pharaoh. And we have some recording of what happens when Pharaoh sees this. So in Exodus chapter 7, we we find um, Moses going in with Aaron, and God says this. This is verse 9 of chapter 7. When Pharaoh says to you, perform a miracle, then say to Aaron, take your staff, throw it down before Pharaoh, and it will become a snake. Yeah, that's a good one, right? We know that will work. That'll be really impressive. And that's exactly what they do. They throw it down, and it becomes a snake. Is it impressive? Well, this is what happens. Pharaoh calls his magicians, and this is what's recorded in verse 12. Each one threw down his staff, and it became a snake. Now, granted, granted, (laughs) Aaron's staff crawls around and eats up the other snakes. Like, if you thought that was a, like, throw it down and it becomes a snake, that's creepy. Watch another snake swallow the other one's whole. That's like a munch fest right there when it creeped everybody out in the court. And then he has to go over and pick that thing up and it becomes a staff again. That's what happens. But is it impressive when the magicians can replicate and do the same thing? Kind of undermines it. It does nothing for Pharaoh. He doesn't doesn't think it's impressive at all. In chapter 7, the first plague takes place with the water turning to blood. This is one of the signs that he was given. By the way, I, I think all of the signs were performed in front of Pharaoh. I think only two of them are recorded. 
Only two of them are recorded in the text. But listen to what happens when he turns the whole Nile and everything else that they could see, every other pool of water, into blood. Verse 20, what? Two. But the Egyptian magicians did the same things by their secret arts. They took water and turned it into blood as well. And, and Pharaoh dismisses these things like they're cute parlor tricks. Like if the purpose of these signs was to show that God was powerful, did it work? Does not appear to work. Why didn't God choose something that couldn't be replicated? Why didn't he choose something that when Egypt or when Pharaoh would have said to the magicians, hey, go ahead and replicate this, they would have said, we don't know how to do that. We got nothing. That would have been powerful. But what if the point wasn't power then? What if there was something else going on in these signs that God was trying to use to communicate? And sure, they were miracles. There was, there was something there. You, you can't say that. But you've got to keep in mind that his primary audience, his primary audience for these signs was a, a nation of slaves. So that gets recorded because these signs are performed in front of them in chapter 4 of Exodus. And here's what happens. So in verse 29, Moses and Aaron brought together all the elders of the Israelites. So they've got everybody who's important there. Aaron goes on in verse 30 to tell them everything that God had told Moses. They know the whole plan. And then at the end of verse 30, it says this, he also performed the signs before the people. So all three of these signs are done in front of the nation of Israel, their leaders. Verse 31, and they believed. They believed. They believed why? Because it was a miracle? I don't know. But there's a second thing that's said that's really interesting. It says at the second part of that verse, and when they heard that the Lord was concerned about them and had seen their misery, they bowed down and worshiped. It appears there are two purposes that God had in mind when he put these signs together. One was to get them to believe. Another one was to reveal God's heart, that I see you, I understand your misery, and I am deeply concerned about you. And it seems to work. Which I think raises a great question. How did that accomplish the goal? How did those signs have anything to do with causing this kind? Because if it was belief because they're great miracles, word would have traveled back that the magicians were replicating these things. It wouldn't have seemed that big of a deal. I guess your God's not as powerful as these Egyptian gods. They're all doing, maybe they're just equals. But that's not how they thought about it. I think the second part of this is what makes this so important. Somehow they realized that God saw the depths of their lives and was concerned about what was happening with them. And the question is, how did that happen? 
Well, for the next three weeks, that's what we want to explore. Because I think what we're going to find out is that as God reveals his heart to his people, you're going to realize that that God hasn't changed. And if he feels that way about his people then, he feels that way about you now. And this is something that you could tap into that could make a difference in the way that you live and think and go about your life. So I'm going to find a way to grab each one of these signs, and we're going to find a way to uh, attach it to their story. We're, we're going to do the easiest one first because I've taken up a lot of stuff to get us to this. I've taken up a lot of time to get us to this place. And so I'm going to, I'm going to use the sign that once you hear it and you hear, hear it explained a little bit, you're going to go, I should have seen the toaster. Like, I, I should have recognized this. This is obvious. This is the mic drop one where God said, look, if you do this, everybody's going to understand that I see your misery, that I'm concerned about you, and that I'm powerful. Now, uh, for this to make sense and to work, these three signs would have to have something to do with the life or the lives of the Israelis. Is there anything in the scripture that tells us what they've been going through? They've been slaves for 400 years. Is there anything that tells us what's happened in their lives for 400 years? There's only one chapter. It's Exodus chapter 1. I don't know if you'll find this interesting or not. But in Exodus chapter 1, um, it details three terrible things that have happened in the life of Israel while they've been in Egypt. Three terrible things, three signs. I wonder if there's a correlation. I think you're going to find there is. And we're going to pick the easiest one out of the bunch. The water turning into blood. Is there anything that they lived through that they were experiencing that this sign would have spoken to? I think it is verse 22 of Exodus chapter 1. Let me read this. Then Pharaoh gave this order to all his people. Every Hebrew boy that is born you must throw into the Nile, but let every girl live. Who, who did he give this command to? Everybody in Egypt. Everybody in Egypt could participate in this. Where if you happen to be along a trail outside and you found somebody walking or having a little baby boy, you could grab it by the leg, walk over to the Nile, and pitch it in like it's trash. The whole country was participating with this. The complete lack of care for life. Honestly, it's, it's not much different in our own country right now. And, and you can try to make it a political issue, but it is a flat-out moral issue that we don't care about the lives of babies in our country the way we do. But this is, this is like even worse because you understand the, these people were slaves. They had no recourse. There was nothing for them that was about finding justice in this situation. If they had somebody take their child, walk over to the Nile and pitch it in the Nile, they could do nothing. In fact, 
The Nile would cover over the crime if it was even a crime because Pharaoh is told people to do this. I don't think anybody would have gotten in trouble for an instant. But here's what happens when somebody does that. If, you've, if you have tried to put this story into some kind of context, you're sick in your stomach right now if you've made it personal at all. If this has happened to you and you were powerless to stop it, what would happen? You would wind up with a gigantic hole in your heart that you wouldn't know what to do with. But the next day, the next week, the next month, or years, as you walked out of your house, you would see the Nile flowing along peacefully like nothing had ever happened. You'd experience a culture in Egypt that was moving along like nothing had ever happened. You, you experienced a quota that you were still responsible to produce for. It didn't matter that you had a broken heart and the world was just charging forward. And you would have to decide, am I going to go along with this? Like, you're stuck, you're broken, but the rest of the world charges on. I, I've talked to people where they've experienced express this very thing happening in their lives. I, I kind of made a list. It's not an extensive list. It's a short list of things that have happened in people's lives that they feel like, you know what? Created a gigantic hole in my heart that I didn't know what to do with. But the rest of the world, it's just going like nothing ever happened. Somebody that you dearly loved, passes away. You experience a miscarriage. There's a betrayal in your life. Close friend, maybe closer. Your reputation gets destroyed by somebody. Your character gets attacked publicly and there's nothing that you can do about it because people love to believe the worst about you. You're abused taken advantage of behind closed doors. Somebody you love takes their life. See, these are examples of maybe some things that others have done, but I could make an equally long list of choices that we sometimes make that like we were a part of it. We, we stepped into this and we did it and now we're left with a hole in our heart from that situation. It's a pain so deep, you don't know how to process it, you don't know what to think about it, you don't know what to say, and on top of that, you're not convinced that even if you said anything, people would wanna have that conversation because you're looking around and the world is just moving on. Have you ever been there? I've been there a couple times in my life. I've been in a few situations where I felt like I was, I was put to my knees by something that was going on in life. And I was like shocked and disturbed that the rest of the world wasn't upset about this as I was. Like how could life go on like it's no big deal? How could this carry forward? And, and you have a decision to make. Like, do I find a way just to get on board and, 
and create normal and go like nothing ever happened? What do I do with this thing in my heart that I'm not sure how to process or think about? And there have been times where I just got back up and I went. I just jumped on board with everybody else because I didn't know what else to do with that. How was I supposed to handle that? You, you know the danger of that? Is that you become so comfortable with this thing that's a hole in your heart that you begin to believe that you couldn't even be you if it wasn't there. I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't be the person I was unless I carry this thing around at the center of who I am that's terrible. By the way, there is some evidence that Israel feels this way because God actually gets them out of Egypt. They're on their other side of the Red Sea. They're free, they're safe, but they run into some trouble and you know what they say? I'd like to go back to Egypt. Do you understand what they're saying? I want to go back to the place where they threw our kids into the Nile River. That's where I want. I'm, I can live with that. I've learned how to find a way to marshal through that. I can accept that. I just can't deal with this unknown place that I'm in right now. And they were more comfortable processing that I'd rather just stick with what I know than to break free from it becomes part of human nature. There's a reason why I think this happens, by the way. Why we decide that we've got to live with this, that it's not going to be addressed, not ever explored, is because the one person that we know could get into our heart and do something about it, the Almighty Creator God, we wonder if we can trust him. Because why didn't he show up before all of this stuff happened? I know he wants to be a healer now, but why didn't he heal before I came to this place? Why didn't he prevent? Why didn't he head this off? Why wasn't he there in the moment where I needed protected? And you begin to believe that God can't be trusted, which leads to I'm not sure God cares about me or there must be something wrong with me that's unlovable. And so there's no effort to bring that kind of stuff before God because he doesn't seem to have cared in the first place. And so what we do instead is we just get back into the rhythm of life. We just bury this painful thing deep into our core and we go about our lives like everything is normal and okay. Believing no one cares. I'm on my own here. Now I don't believe that's true. Uh, band, I'm going to need your help in just a minute. If you could make your way up here, that would be great. I don't believe that's true, and I think God found a way to communicate to the nation of Israel that it wasn't true. How did he do that? He gave them a sign. 
He said, I want you to go over to that water where they've been throwing these babies, and I want you to get some water out. And when you pour that water on the ground, it's going to be blood. It's not surprising that this is the first plague that hits Egypt. In essence, what God was saying was, I know what you've been doing, and I'm not okay with it. I'm here to set things right. You might have been able to hide your injustices in that Nile River, but it hides nothing any longer because I know what it really is. It's a blood river. And I'm going to do something about this. And when Israel saw that God understood what had been happening to them, that the Nile was being used as a cover for this treachery against them, they were relieved. They were relieved that somebody sees us. Somebody knows. Somebody understands. And they made a choice to worship. Now, as it turns out, they're still going to have quite a bit of work to do because they had gotten so used to this stuff that they were comfortable with it. And they had to make some sort of choice that they were going to actually trust God to do the healing part of this. I'm going to ask the band to play a song um, that's about that very thing. And when you hear it, you're going to be tempted to think that the writer of this song is talking about some other person outside of him that's caused problems for his life, and that is not right. The writer of this song ended up being abused and had lived with it for so long and thought the only way that I can really be me is for me to be this angry, pent-up person. And he got to a place where he broke. He, he had a mental breakdown. And it was only after he started getting into it that he realized that he would have to make some sort of choice about which person would lead him. The one he was created to be or the one that he thought he had to accept that was this hole in his heart that was driving his life. I want you to hear it because not only do I think this was happening with Israel, I think this happens with us. And I want you to be open to evaluating your own life as you listen to this. And then I'm going to come and close. Why did God wait 400 years to bring justice to that situation? I don't know. Why has God waited to bring justice to your situation? I don't know. Here's what I know. Justice is on his timetable. Nothing escapes his view. He'll deal with it. But in the meantime, he's concerned about your heart. And he's available for you. You, you want to know how concerned he is about your heart? His son was sent to die for you. Do you understand that? 
He put action to what he believed. And what he's hoping for is that you'll understand that he sees you, all of you, down to the core of who you are. He sees what you carry. He sees what pain you struggle with. He sees what you've gone through. He sees what you'll be going through. And he wants to be a part of the journey with you. But like Israel, it will require a level of belief. I'm going to trust you. And out of that trust comes worship. I know you might believe that nobody cares and nobody wants to know about the stuff that goes on at the core of your heart. God does. He wants to enter into conversation with you. He wants to bring that out into the open. He wants to see that healed. He wants to be a partner with you. Will you trust? Will you worship? Will you be done? That's your choice. But I want to pray for you as you sit and think about it. God, I ask that the Holy Spirit would be here speaking to the people who actually, I mean, they they need to hear something right now. Maybe they need to be reminded that you love them so much. Maybe they need to be reminded they're not alone. Maybe they need to be reminded that the new normal that they've decided to be okay with is not okay with you. That there's work that could be done that would change the story of their heart. God, you're available. You see us to the core. We are not hidden. We are not lost. But we have the courage to come to you, open our hearts, and let you rewrite the story the way you want. I ask that we'd have the courage to do that. In Jesus' name, amen.